Hi everyone, hope you're doing okay in this particular week of this very strange time. Uh, I hope that this morning we can look at the Bible together, get some encouragement, get some perspective, get some help from God. Uh, my name is Rich if we've not met and I really hope that this morning does you good. I don't know if, like me, you followed the US elections this year. Admittedly, it's probably not the most important news story that's gone on in our world, but still, I'd say near the top. And uh, I find myself checking my BBC News app quite a lot in the months, weeks, uh, hours leading up to the election and scrolling around on social media. And during my extensive research into this election, um, I found myself hearing about a particular group of people in America over and over and over and over and over again. There was one group of people in that country who, according to mass media, according to both candidates, according to both campaigns, were going to be the people that clinched the election one way or another. I'm not talking about um, hackers from a foreign land. Uh, I'm not talking about Facebook or Twitter or mass media of other kinds. What I'm talking about is the group of people known as the undecideds. This group of people for whom their allegiance was yet to be settled. It could still go either way for them. They were not yet certain whether they were going to go this way or that way. As they were mulling it, they were seeing pros and cons on both sides. They were drawn in many ways to some of the policies, some of the supporters on this side. But in other ways, they were holding back and considering whether to go the other way. And this group of people was so important that... Both campaigns and uh, Biden and Trump's ads and messaging and speeches and rallies were almost always targeted towards that demographic, but very often even explicitly addressed to those who are undecided, those whose allegiance hangs in the balance. And today, you may be relieved or disappointed to know we don't have much Donald Trump in the talk. We don't have much Joe Biden but we have far greater words of a far more important speech from a far greater leader. We have the Sermon on the Mount from the lips of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And in this two sentences that we've had read for us, Jesus is doing something very similar to what I've just described. Jesus is addressing the undecideds among us. Those who are drawn, yes, to many of the policies, perhaps you're even friends with many of the uh, supporters of King Jesus. But in the election to see not who rules the nation, but who rules our very lives, we are undecided. I wonder if that's you today. It might be you because you're on the exploring phase of your spiritual journey. You've been coming along perhaps for the first time this week or uh, been involved in church and looking in for a few weeks or a few months. And you find yourself really enjoying lots of it. You find yourself quite liking uh, the, the normal preacher uh, until this guy turned up today. Uh, you find yourself being friends with some of the, the followers of this King Jesus. And yet, just for very many reasons, you're just holding back slightly from declaring your allegiance yourself. You're undecided. It might be you if you're a child or a young person or perhaps even a new student in our church. 
because you've grown up in a family, as I pray my children will, that drones on about Jesus quite a lot and is really keen and does all the stuff. And that's great, but you are realising rightly that this is something that at some point you're going to have to decide about for yourself. And you aren't quite sure yet which way that's going to go. You're undecided. There'll be a whole group of people who will probably now be thinking, well, Rich, I'm reasonably decided on this issue. It's sort of, you know, I've been a card carrying Christian for 900 years. So should I just go and watch Strictly or something? No, because every single one of us, according to the Bible's teaching, has undecided parts of our hearts every single day of our lives. That's the keen beans who even record stuff for the church meetings. That's the elders who even preach on a Sunday. It's every Christian, according to the Bible, is a mixture of faith, of love for Jesus, of allegiance to Jesus, Jesus, but also of doubt and holding back and shame and guilt and feelings of nervousness and fear that hold us back from throwing ourselves into Sermon on the Mount living wholeheartedly. And so I know that for me this morning, there are undecided parts of me that need to be addressed by Jesus. And so this is a message for all of us. And what Jesus wants to do in these two sentences that we're going to be digging into is something very refreshing in the political climate of today. He wants to not spin you or trick you or con you. He wants to, as a man of integrity, tell you the truth. He wants to set out before you very clearly the decision that you have to make. He wants to tell you about this side, tell you about that side and inform you and let you choose. And because of that, he says some things that might be challenging or might ruffle our feathers. But we don't want a populist who says what he thinks the most people want him to say and then goes with that because he knows it'll get him a hearing. We have a God who is braver than that, has more integrity than that and simply tells us the truth and lets us decide. And that's what he does in these sentences. And he uses the analogy of a journey. He tells us that all of our lives are a journey along one of two paths, two paths that feel very different to one another, that have very different experiences, that end up somewhere very different. One path leads to, in Jesus' words, life. Life now, not just life that's existing, but life and life to the full. Not just churning out another 24 hours, but life and connection to God with our creator as we were always made to be. And a life that starts now, but bubbles up and out into the lives of those around us and on into eternity, even beyond the grave. And another path that leads to what Jesus calls destruction or hell. Hell on earth that starts now and bubbles out in all of its ugliness to those around us. And Jesus says, ultimately, continues beyond the grave into eternity. And what he wants to do is set out some truths about those two paths and give you a choice. Here's what he says. Let's read it again. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. 
Loads of things to get annoyed about there, aren't there? Loads of controversial statements, phrases like highway to hell, which is funny if you remind you of the ACDC song. It's funny because it's alliterative and it's quite a nice way of putting something. But when you consider its meaning is ultimately and inescapably harrowing and terrifying, if you think about it. Phrases like narrow gate, which makes us think of really the only other time we use the word narrow, unless we're into narrow boats, which who's into narrow boats? Narrow is narrow mindedness, isn't it? And no one wants to be narrow minded and no one wants to be in a narrow minded religion and no one wants to follow a God who self defines as narrow, right? And we're going to get to some of that and look at some of that. And I think that you're going to see that what Jesus is saying is good news, not bad news. But first, I want to show you a far more scandalous phrase that occurs in that passage. It's so scandalous. And yet probably you didn't bat an eyelid when I read it and you missed it. I want to show you it. It's the very first phrase of those sentences. Jesus says you can enter the kingdom of God. Let me just stop you there. Did you catch that? I don't know how you're feeling listening to this this morning. Maybe you're an undecided. Maybe there are undecided parts in you. Maybe that comes from the fact that you don't feel you could ever be welcomed in by a God of love and purity and goodness and justice because you know the mess that you make of stuff. You know your secret shame. You know the secrets no one knows. You know the reasons that you feel guilty and insecure. You know the mistakes that you've made, the mess you've made. You know the way that you've either aggressively rejected God and made a big noise about it or quietly and stubbornly refused to submit to him for your entire life. You know the way that you're lacking in faith, the way that you lack in obedience, the way that you've mucked up again, even last night, even this morning. You know that and God knows that. And Jesus Christ literally climbs to the top of a mountain so he can shout to you this morning. You can enter the kingdom of God. You can know joy, peace, life, family, connection, intimacy with your creator that you were born for, even though you've made all of those mistakes, because the heart of God is a reservoir of mercy wanting to pour out on anyone who will turn to him. You can enter God's kingdom. You know, Adam and Eve, our representative first parents in the Bible, they did what all of us have done a million times, which is they stuck the proverbial two fingers up to God and they walked away. And that's on like page two of the Bible. And that should have been the end. God should have said, I gave you everything. You literally turned away from me inexplicably. I put it on a plate for you and you couldn't just ignore one fruit. And yet God is so abounding in love that that is not the end of the story rather the bible goes on quite a bit after that and so does your story and it's generation after generation after generation of the god of love reaching out and calling you back and drawing us near and people bewilderingly find what even me i can come yes you can you can come to god you can i say this on the authority of the word of god you can enter god's kingdom and here's the thing not everyone wants to. Not everyone does. It is a choice. That's what Jesus is laying out in this passage. Remember, it's a choice. You can choose the way of life or you can choose the way to destruction. And Jesus says at the end of this passage that actually, surprisingly few choose the way to life. And what he does now for the undecideds and the undecided parts of all of us is he lays out the choice before us. 
He speaks about the gate, the entry point to these two different journeys, the path, what it feels like along the way and the people with you along the journey. Let's start with the gate, the entry point, how you access these two paths. The entry point, Jesus says, to life, to the way to life, is a narrow gate. And the entry point to destruction is a wide gate. In my former life, when it was legal, I did this crazy unhygienic thing where I went to football stadiums with thousands of other people quite close to me and watched live sport that used to be a thing that you could do. And at the start of that, I would often have a narrow gate experience. I'd have to go through a turnstile, which was quite uncomfortable. I had to find the, the, the one that I was able to go through and I would go through it and I'd have to sort of lean sideways and squeeze through. I'd sort of, my wallet would fall on the floor. I'd lean over and headbutt the turnstile and it would be all be slightly strange. But when I had gone through it, I entered into the stadium, the experience that I had come for, the joy of seeing Wolverhampton Wanderers draw one all with Huddersfield or whatever it might be. I had a narrow gate experience. But also whenever I went to watch football, I would have at the other end of the game a, a wide gate experience, which is at the end of the football match for sort of to make it easier and less hassle and, and less effort. They would lift up these shutters on the side of the stadium. And so the crowds would would pour out. And in, in winter at this time of year, it, it would be pouring out into the darkness. And I didn't even have to sort of know where I was going. I didn't even have to try. It wasn't any effort. I could just be looking at my phone. In fact, because of the momentum of the crowd going with me out of the stadium, I could just lift my feet up and they would carry me along the momentum of everyone else. It was very easy, very simple. And out I went into the darkness through the wide gate. And I think Jesus is saying something maybe a tiny little bit similar to that in some ways, at least. He's not saying he's narrow in terms of, He's picky or he's choosy or he's he's prudish or he's um, intolerant or, or, or any of the ways that we often use that word. Remember, he's already shouted, you can enter the kingdom of God. And he was murdered, not because he was exclusive, but ultimately because he was too welcoming for the religious types of his day. But he is saying this. He's saying, if you want to come in, you have to come through me. I am your access point. I am your turnstile. I am your entry point. Anyone can come, but you have to come through me. You can't experience life to the full with God by just going anywhere, just doing whatever, just drifting through life, just picking up your feet and letting whatever everyone else does carry you along. And if you do that, you will end up somewhere not very good at all, out, out, through the wide gate and into the darkness. No, Jesus is saying you need to consciously come to me. You need to enter in through the narrow gate. You need to humbly confess that you need me. Ask for forgiveness. Don't, don't, don't swagger through the wide gate, nice and wide, but rather come humbly and, and submit yourself to the narrow gate. It can be hard. I remember becoming a Christian. I remember that decision to become a Christian. I remember every day since then having to re-decide to repent again and come to God and, and follow his ways. And it, it can feel like a shrinking of myself. And John the Baptist even uses that phrase, doesn't he? I must become less, and you must, to come through the narrow gate. But when you come through, you enter into the experience, not just a one or draw with Huddersfield, but life and life forevermore. You have a choice. You're going to choose the narrow gate or the wide gate. And then much more quickly, Jesus talks about the path or the journey along the way. And Jesus says the path to life is difficult, hard, tricky, painful. 
you get stones in your shoes. Sometimes it's uphill and it makes you sweat a lot. But the path to destruction, well, that's broad or wide or easy. See, Jesus is being incredibly upfront again. If he's a politician, he switches those up and he says, uh, oh, the destruction route, that's very dangerous. But, but, the, but the life route with me, well, it's an idyllic walk along the shore. Come with me. Let's have a cocktail. It's beautiful. But he's a man of integrity and he tells us the truth. And his life bears witness to the fact and his death bears witness to the fact that following God in this world is incredibly hard and can end up being incredibly challenging and even sacrificial and even costly for him to the point of death. Yes, it brings you joy. Yes, it brings you blessing. Yes, it is a path to life, but it is a path to life that is difficult. And he wants you to know that when you're making decisions about whether to throw your all in with him. You know, it's so hard. The Sermon on the Mount to live that stuff out is really hard to be a forgiver, to be someone who doesn't judge, but goes to work on your own sin, where your most passionate things that you are outcrying against are your own inconsistencies. That is radical and challenging and unrelenting at times. It's difficult to live the Sermon on the Mount. It's hard. The way that Jesus speaks about difficulty in life is not that he rids you of it, but that he calls you to enter into it, to bring his light and his life and his love to the people who are experiencing the challenges of this world around you. To pick up your cross, he says, and follow him. It's a sacrificial life. But my friends, the value ultimately of a path is not in how it feels, but in where it is heading, in where it leads. Imagine an incredible ocean liner, right, with all the mod cons, all the latest stuff. You can you can walk around it. You can go anywhere. You can do anything. It's got everything and everyone you ever want to be. You are shiny, happy and free on this liner. And in contrast, who would want to jump into the tiny wooden lifeboat, right? It doesn't feel as, as spacious. You get a splinter. I mean, what losers would do that? But what if the ocean liner is heading for destruction? What if it's sinking? Suddenly the wooden lifeboat, which you have to squeeze into, you might get a splinter along the way. You might even lose some of the opportunities that you had on the cruise liner. Suddenly it looks a whole lot more appealing because it is the way to life. And the other way of life is heading for destruction and is sinking. And Jesus is saying that is how it is with your choice of which journey you're going to take your life on. You know, life outside of Jesus can look a lot more free and exciting than life on church rotors, right? But my friends, where is that life heading? And instead, life with him, yes, it's hard. Yes, it's challenging. Yes, there is a cost. But the way of the cross leads to the way of the resurrection. It is a life of loss but when you lose your life, you find it, says Jesus. The way is hard, but it leads to life. And it's your choice. Choose the difficult path to life or the easy path to destruction. Lastly, Jesus finishes by telling us about the people along the way. And he says that the path to life is found by few. And the path to destruction is found by many. Again, he's being just really honest here. If he's a politician, he says, I'll make you popular. I'll get you friends. He doesn't say that. He says, follow me to the cross where I was betrayed, even by my closest friends. He says, do you know what? You, you, you follow me on the path to life. Loads of your school friends are going to think you're weird. That's just the way it is. You know, you follow me on the path to life and loads of your family and friends are going to think you've like taken something or banged your head because you've become this weird religious person. 
You throw yourself in, not just in religious behaviour, but in wholehearted, repentant discipleship of King Jesus. Then even people in the church are sometimes going to think you're a bit strange. But you know what? Doing the right thing and the experientially best thing is not always doing the popular thing. And we know this in loads of areas of our lives. We know that we say that to our children. You, you don't just do what everyone tells you to do. You do what you know is the right thing. You know what you know is going to lead to life. And Jesus is saying that about his kingdom. I'll end with this. Martin Luther King, in his day, believed something that was a beautiful dream, a righteous dream, an experientially better dream than the world that he lived in. And he dreamt it and he spoke it and he lived it. And it was not popular People don't realise this about that moment, but that, but he, he got killed for believing and dreaming the dreams that he dreamed. And sadly, today, millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of people are still equally disgusted by his dream. But you know what? It was the right dream and it's an experientially good dream. And even if it's not popular, sometimes we are called to stand for something unpopular because it is right and it is best. And Jesus is saying in a similar way from personal experience that the path to life is like that. You follow it and a lot of people ain't going to like it. And he just wants you to know that and let you have a think about it and let you settle it. But my friends, doing the popular thing was never what life was about. You lift your feet up and let the crowd carry you out into the darkness if you want to be popular. Jesus invites you to something better than populism. <laughs> he invites you to the kingdom of God to do the right thing and the experientially best thing, even if it costs you a bit of esteem in your circle. My friends, I'm done. Are you, are you undecided? Are those undecided bits of you, are you aware of them? Well, you can enter the kingdom of God. Hear it loud and proud. That's the thing you need to take from this. But the way is hard. The gate is narrow and only a few find it. I ask you, are you in? Are you in with King Jesus? Let me pray for us. Jesus, I thank you that you are the way, the truth, the life, and that you never ask us to do something that you haven't done yourself. And this narrow gate, this hard way, this uh, being only with a few, you, you've walked that path before us. I pray for all of those undecided and for all the undecided bits in me and us. Lord Jesus, that you'd help us today to choose this day whom we'll serve and to wholeheartedly throw our eggs into your basket Jesus because it is the way to life life that starts now life that bubbles out from us to others and life that goes on for eternity I, I do not want to be on a cruise liner distracted quite literally to death and destruction I want to be on a lifeboat with you I want to be taking up my cross and following you I want to come through the narrow way even humbly become less that you might increase and thank you Jesus that despite all the ways that I have failed in this all the ways that I might even continue to fail even today that you shout loud and proud you can enter the kingdom of God rich listeners people watching this message you can the question is will you Jesus I pray you draw many to to right now put a line in the sand and follow you. Amen.